0: Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience Podcast with your hosts, Yasmina and Ari, who will be uncovering gems of wisdom with Jewish educators from around the world.
1: Our guest today is Rabbi Yehoshua Shapiro. Rabbi Yehoshua Shapiro, born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. He is the associate principal of Base Yaakov High School in Baltimore, Maryland. He attended Talmudical Academy of Baltimore a.k.a. Yeshivas Chafetz Chaim, T.A., for preschool through 12th grade, Rabbi Shapira learned in Yeshivat Kol Torah in Yerushalayim, Israel, after high school and returned to learn in Ner Israel Rabbinical College for the next nine years. And he received a smicha ordination from the Rosh Yeshiva Harav Y.Y. Ruderman Zichrono L'Ebrachah He earned a Bachelor of Arts majoring in Accounting from Loyola College in Baltimore, Maryland. He also earned a Master's of Education degree from Johns Hopkins University in Maryland. Rabbi Shapiro taught for 12 years part-time in Beth Tafila Day School. He was the ninth grade Rebbe in YCCTA for 9 years. He joined Basiakov High School in September 1991. Originally serving as the assistant principal, and now currently he's the associate principal. Rabbi Shapiro and his wife, Sara Rifka have been blessed with a wonderful family. And his wife, Sara Rifka, is also an educator. And she currently is the director and teacher of her Kinder Fund playgroup and has been for the last 19 years. Hello, Rabbi Shapiro. Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today.
0: Good evening, Gasmina. My pleasure. And thank you for the opportunity.
1: Well, we look forward to getting to know you and hearing your story. Would you please tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you began your journey in Jewish education?
0: Born and bred in Baltimore, here in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, my father... Olaf HaSholom, may he rest in peace, was an educator. And somehow I kind of had a hunch growing up that um, I wanted to go into the field of education or in my high school years, I was toying with the idea of psychology. Um, And then when I went off to yeshiva post high school, I studied in Israel for a year and a half. Um, it was, it was for the most part at that time. I think I came to the realization that I I wanted to teach, and um, when I came back to Baltimore and was attending Near Yisrael, the Near Israel Rabbinical College, um, during those few years of um, learning in the yeshiva and uh, bachelorhood, um, I I had done quite a bit of substituting in the local day schools, yeshiva day schools here, um, all different grades. And that just, I guess, kind of gave me the backing, the backbone to further confirm what I felt I wanted to do um, I did have one particular calling out of town, actually out of the country to Toronto. Yeah, that was a, um, kind of like a emergency calling. Where one of the um, one, one of the fellows of the Kollel from near Yisrael had accepted a teaching job. Unfortunately, there was a auto accident. Um, this particular person, the Rebbe, ended up in the hospital as did a number of his family members. And the Rosh Yeshiva of Ner Yisrael, at that time, Rav Ruderman, Zichrona Levracha, had called me into the office and basically informed me that he has a mission <laughs> that he is sending me on. I should go wow. to Toronto and I should teach the ninth grade class in Eitz Chaim while the particular Rebbe was recuperating wow. in the hospital than at home. So that seven week stint I believe clinched it for me in my mind. This is what I want to do.
1: That's so that's such an interesting story too. Actually my husband is uh he grew up in Toronto.
0: I know that, that the school had been when I was there was an established school and it's still around today. So um yeah fantastic could very well be that was the place.
1: How does it feel to come full circle? You grew up in Baltimore and now you've returned and you're, you're edu- still teaching in the area. And how is that?
0: Um, yes, it's uh, sometimes it's actually fun because there are names of parents, um, even grandparents. Sometimes when I'm in a bold mood, um, and feeling more confident than others, I might even say, hey, I remember your great-grandfather, although I'm quick to tell them that the numbers don't match up. How could I? I'm not even that old. But yeah, but yes, so that part of it is kind of fun, you know, seeing some of those names being connected to some degree with the families, and then we come full circle, and here's a... Uh, child, grandchild, or even great-grandchild sitting in the classroom and, um, in one of the classes that I'm teaching or, the, you know, or just in the school itself uh, where I'm, I'm doing whatever I'm, my work that I'm doing here. So it, I, I would say that part is enjoyable and at times fun.
1: <laughs> What's the age group that you work with primarily right now?
0: I'm, uh, I'm the associate principal in the high school. At Base so that's grades nine through twelve. Actually, when I first accepted the position, um, some thirty-one years ago, back in a day that was pre-middle school concept here. Wow! Um, There had been middle schools in the country, but the idea had not yet resonated with with Desiaco. So back in when I came here, actually, the high school was considered grades seven through 12. Yeah, and and that's actually the way it was when I was growing up as a kid. That's, you know, elementary was through the sixth grade, and then there was high school, and it was kind of divided. A lot of schools had junior high and senior high. Junior high was seven, eight, nine. Senior high was 10, 11, 12. Uh, but here in Basiaco, they had high school 7 through 12. Uh, the numbers of the student body here have grown considerably since then. So uh, just logistically, it would be hard to get by with that now um, anyways. many ways. But uh, it's been quite a number of years now, you know, a good 25 years at least, that uh, we've had a middle school which took us actually through grades six. I'm, I'm sorry, through grade eight. Okay. Um, grade six, seven, and eight. But not uh, relatively recently, just about three, four years ago, Basiakov um, embarked on a new division and the fifth grade left elementary and joined middle school. So now... The middle school consists of grades five, six, seven, eight. Okay. The high school continues to be nine through twelve.
1: So interesting. Wow. What's the student body background? Are are most of the students coming from observant families?
0: Most, right. Yeah. So most of our population almost just about all of it, I would say, are uh, identify and would say that, you know, they are um, Orthodox Jews. They live a Orthodox life. They are Shomrei Torah U'mitzvot. And um, that is just the overwhelming, almost everyone now. And it was not always like that in Beis Yacob back in a day, but um I would say since pretty much for the last several decades, that has been uh, the makeup of the population.
1: How, do you know how many base Yacob schools there are in the oh States?
0: <laughs> I, I don't. That's, uh, you know, an interesting question. I really don't. I, I guess I would just say, which doesn't really answer your question, but there are quite a number. Okay. <laughs> there are, you know, there are, I'd say tens and tens of them. I mean, you know, I mean, many schools will around the country carry the name Yakov but then there are so many other schools that although the actual name of the school is not Yakov, but they certainly you know identify with the uh, philosophy, the Basiako curriculum, and you know, I guess they would still be referred to as Yakov schools. And there are tens and tens of them um you know throughout the country um in, in fact I, I i believe that our part of our student population kind of reflect that because quite a number of decades ago i'll say 40 50 years ago which is before my time here but i think there were any number of students girls that would be coming from certain cities coming to Baltimore based Yaakov because their ch- their families wanted them to have a base Yaakov type education. And it just wasn't available in some of the cities and towns where these families lived and these girls were coming from. And in the more recent decades, you just you could, you know, you see from well, how many out-of-towners and where are they coming from? kind of uh, there's this indication that in some of these towns where 50 years ago there was no place to send a uh, someone looking for a basic act of education. But now in the more recent times, schools have sprouted up. So in, in, in that respect, I, I think uh, our population and numbers are reflective of that change.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Do you see or um, in your experience – so I know there's quite a challenge with day schools and trying to keep people involved in their Yiddishkeit and Jewish identity. Um, do you see that base Yaakov, most girls who go to base Yaakov school tend to stay observant even as they continue on throughout their life for the most part? Or?
0: Well, I, I, I do think that for the most part, that is the story you know, of our girls and our students. However, you know, our tradition is that um, we don't, we're not satisfied with, st- with a statistic. You know, we, we are not satisfied with the percentage numbers. So it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter how few and how small the percentage is of students who might, you know, feel challenged in that area and don't see themselves as furthering it. We, you know, we I guess we 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 try. We want to believe that we continue to be somewhat driven. Try to try to help each and every member of our student population feel comfortable with you know, her religiosity and have a comfort level in keeping up with the tradition of the home that she comes from, um, and sometimes just the uh, the tradition as we know it of the Orthodox Torah tradition. So, I, you know, I, I think that we, we certainly have among our population some students who, are, who are, feel challenged in this area. And um you know life life has lots of curveballs these days. I kind of think they always did, but the nature of the curveball, the curveballs seems to be different. Um, it's not easy i I've often told my teachers that if we had a twenty second century camera, a video camera, that we could aim at the main entrance of our door, entering into the school building. If, if we had access to such a gizmo, at 8.30 in the morning, as everyone's coming off the pop, off the parking lot, entering the school building, the camera is aimed at the door and videoing every student who walks in if we had that 22nd century camera where not only do you see who the student is as she's physically walking into the building, but somehow the camera unveiled the heart and the neshama of that girl and what she experiences, what she is experiencing at home, perhaps that very morning that she's now walking into the building, if we could somehow be privy to that and see that, I suspect that uh, when the bell rings and we're getting our students settled in the classroom, while sometimes we as teachers are looking around to see, are the students offering proper derecherets? Do they do the traditional derecherets of stand up as the teacher enters the classroom, we might find ourselves that we are standing up for the student as she enters the classroom in realizing that like, wow, considering what this girl just left at home, whatever that challenge is, sometimes it's emotional challenges, sometimes it's health challenges of a grandparent who's living in the house, of a uh, special needs sibling of a home where there's friction and whatever it is that she is living with. And she got out of bed and she came to school. Wow. We need to stand up for her. Irony of ironies, we as teachers, myself included, we're sitting at the teacher's desk thinking, We want every student, open the books. We want you engaged, take those notes. And sometimes we really ought to be satisfied with, wow, she got out of bed and came to school. What else do you want from her? So I, I think that there's probably much more of that than we even know.
1: You know, I'm actually I'm glad that you mentioned that because it's so true that we have no idea what's going on in their home life. And the fact that they are showing up and they're they're present really is a big deal. How do you talk about God and um, how might this differ with ninth grade versus 12th grade versus, you know, how does it differ with the various age groups that you're working with?
0: Truth be told, I I, I feel that really in um you know, in our population here in school, we're talking about students, the, you know, we're 90% of them, um, as they're coming into Base Yaakov High School, they've been in Base Yakov, uh, in this Base Yakov school, um, all, almost all their school life. That's the story for most of them. Yes, here and there we have a few out of counters, not that many. And we have a few students who, obviously, families move into town, into the community. And perhaps some of these students have been in other cities and at other schools. But even then, uh, quite a number of them have been in Basiaco-type schools. So by the time we're talking about a ninth grader sitting in one of our classrooms, I mean, she's heard most of the time she is connected to, and she has a background where Whatever talk about God, uh, in the context of the Chumash that we're learning, in the context of the holidays that we are celebrating, or just in the context of the hashkafah, uh, uh, you know, the outlook—whether it's theological or philosophical—outlook of Judaism—they've they've heard it. They've kind of grown up on it, and it's kind of a given. Yes, you as as the child matures and enters teenage years and there's a whole wide world out there. So yes, there are questions and some will have more than others. We we try to address that, but um, I have to say honestly for in the classroom, the discussion. The questions, the responses, it, it all operates for the most part on the same page. Uh, we're all on the same page. And again, yes, we, I think I think we are aware of the fact that sometimes it's just looking at the outward. It might be outwardly. Inwardly, yes, and here is where each student, each child has her own story. Growing up in her respective home, her own respective experiences. So yes, at that because of that, obviously not everyone is going to really be on the same page, and some will share that more than with others. And um, I, I think our teacher population here and our staff try very hard to to be there and to meet the girls. Where they're at, and to try to help help each girl, um, this kind of navigate some of the questions and challenges that she faces. If if she's willing to open up and share them, of course, that anyone who has taught teenagers knows that itself, of course, is a whole big challenge in and of itself um, to try to have. A comfort level, create a comfort zone where the teenager feels that she, he, or she, or anywhere else, he or she can can open up and um, open a dialogue with a teacher and a mentor, um, and trying to explore and clarify and crystallize for themselves, you know, their relationship with Hashem, with God, and with their religion.
1: Definitely. I'm sure that adds to for some interesting discussion too, once you are, a, are able to help the girls come out of their shell and feel comfortable sharing. Um, I'm sure they have all kinds of wonderful thoughts about that when you really dive in.
0: Um, yes, I, actually we, we, we find that they do. I, I find that the, the students, um, they are very, very creative. They are very full and um, th- that's with both meanings intended on that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, they, um, you know, they are thinking young adults and some are more articulate, obviously, than others. Um, and some are more passionate about what they know, believe they know. And uh, this is all part of the, uh, I would say, the excitement of teaching this age group. Although I certainly am willing to acknowledge that every age group, starting with preschoolers, right up through high school and beyond, each age bracket offers its own set of challenges and own set of, you know, rewards and uh, excitement but uh, at the high school level, yeah, that can be um, you know, having, having a mature adult or something very close to it, <laughs> uh, you know, it can be um, offers opportunity for great discussion, and great uh, opportunity for exercising levels of tolerance on both sides of the street. It's a, it's a two-way street. We, the adults, need to learn to be tolerant of our students, and we hope we can impart to our students the uh, talent of being tolerant and opening up a mind and possibly considering other ideas and even if the feeling is to reject them, but to be able to reject them respectfully and appreciating still the other side. So this, I guess that's, I view that all as that's all part of of the education that we, we try to impart, the chinuch, to, uh, to our charges here in school.
1: Well, I love that you mentioned that because that will tie right in with this question, education or chinuch. It can be a little bit of an amorphous term. How would you define education?
0: Without going into a a whole biblical lesson here, <laughs> we do find actually in Parsha's Lech Lecha, where uh, when Lot, the nephew of Avraham, was captured by the four kings, and Avraham makes the decision to engage those kings in battle, so that he can try to free his nephew from the bondage of the four kings. We actually find there the term as Chani Chav, and Rashi, one of the major commentaries on the Chumash, explains that the word Chani Chinuch, which is the popular word used, actually, the Hebrew term that's, typically used for the word education. Rashi seems to explain that term. It's the beginning of using something new. Uh, It's like an introduction, which um, I understand and seems to be understood by the commentaries to mean that chinuch is an introduction to the learning process, but the learning process could be of life. It isn't limited to the actual learning, the book knowledge learning. It's um, even education, even I think, I believe the term education in English has a connotation of instruction, teaching, but also training, training the mind, training the psyche to kind of formulate good attitudes, which includes moral values, ethical standards, a a sense of positivity, like all of that really, I envision goes into, it's uh, under the umbrella word of education, of chinuch. And Getting back to that Rashi, it's kind of introducing a wide, wide range of learning and interaction with the world around us, with the people in the world, and how to navigate that. That's, all part of why parents, I believe, are willing to spend so much money, and especially, you know, in, in, in the world of Jewish education, we're sending our children to a private school to get that education is very, very costly. Typically, the government is not covering the monthly expense, certainly right. not in its entirety. And, and And it's it's for this reason parents are really looking for this wide, wide range of their children being educated, inculcated with um, with Midos tovos, good character, how to behave, how to interact, how to be tolerant of others. And yes, of course, how to think, how to analyze, um, how to tackle, a uh, a dilemma, a problem—not just a math problem. All of that's part of education.
1: Definitely, it, it reminds me a bit of um, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch in one of his writings. He—that's how he explains education and teaching, essentially teaching people about how to live their lives because. In Judaism, everything is tied to how we act and how we serve Hashem. And are we um, acting like you mentioned with their ferrets? Are we treating people with respect or are you know we uh, trying to swindle and do all these things because we think maybe we're not going to get caught? And um, yeah, it's definitely important that not only are we teaching our students Torah, Mitzvot and all of these things, but even just how to be good people.
0: Right, and as you say that, actually I'm reminded that particularly um, in Jewish education, we find um, in the Gemara, in the Talmud, that an integral part of studying and learning, learning Hashem's Torah, an integral part of that always included what's called where the student not only is gaining the book knowledge and the halachic information from the, the, the rebbe, the teacher, but a, a, a key part of it always included opportunity for the student, uh, I guess the... Uh, the, the term we might use is type of an internship, uh, you know, a, uh, a, um, a doctor, someone who's pursuing the field of medicine. Besides taking all those courses in medical school, at some point it culminates with an internship in the hospital under the guidance and tutelage of, of a senior doctor. And in, uh, in Judaism, in the world of Chinuch in Judaism, not only is there this, this component of an internship with the Rav or the Dayan, which you're talking about advanced knowledge in um, how a Beit Din, a Jewish court, operates and a young budding... Halachic authority wants to get Shemush um, and be there and actually observe the whole process and the unfolding of the halachic um, formu- formulas in Jewish law. But it's even more than that. It's internship, just observing the day-to-day, hour-to-hour lifestyle of the Rebbe, of the Tamal because of the understanding that there's so much to be learned from observing the teacher, the Torah scholar, and how he feels life situations, not even limited to the book knowledge aspect. So um, it's kind of the meat and potatoes, I think, of how, of how our Chachamin, the rabbis, transmitted this concept of chinuch, of education. How do you pass pass Torah on to the next generation? It's much, much more than just the passing the torch of the holy books, of the information that's printed on the page, the discussion in the base medrash. Yes, of course it's that, but it's much, much more than that.
1: For sure. You touched on this a little bit already. Um, What have you found to be your biggest challenge that you faced as an educator?
0: I don't know if I can really, I I can't think really of a specific isolated incident, but um, when I think about, you know, like the the challenge, my my own challenge, looking back at my uh, day-to-day opportunities in the school building, and then even more specifically sometimes in the classroom for a few classes that I'm able to teach during my my week. Um, One of the great challenges, I guess, is when you face that student, um, how shall I say this? You know, the student who doesn't necessarily carry with her a certain level of chain. Um, of um, somehow where you're faced with a situation of a student who's either acting out, behaving, talking, communicating, literally communicating through speech, body language, communicating um, to you, the adult, the teacher, with much negativity. And I guess it's a challenge. Sometimes uh, a parent faces this challenge. It's true. Although it seems that God, God has included in the uh, genetic makeup of parents uh, this innate love. I was just commenting to a neighbor today about uh, one of the one of the comments. The Khovos one of the great uh, thinkers of the Mussar and one of the great Musser books um, of moral and ethical values in Judaism, writes that when Hashem, when God created the human, he included in the makeup that a mother, and I say this, it's particularly with mothers, fathers to a much lesser degree, I think, but certainly a mother who's in the forefront of caring for that young, young child, the baby, the infant, waking her up in the middle of the night, needing to be cleaned again and again, not eating properly or smoothly when you want. you know, All of that can possibly go into it. And there she is. She's there for her child. She loves that kid no matter what. Um, and again, our misora is that the teacher The teacher, the mora, the rebbe in the classroom or wherever it is really needs and ought to have a similar kind of unending love and admiration for the student. But uh, we know that it isn't, it's not always like that. We humans sometimes have to overcome the challenge and despite whatever the student may have done or said. I still appreciate my student. I still want to reach out and be there for him or for her. Um, And sometimes in few instances, but I talk about some of the, you know, harder challenges. I sometimes think of that one in the very few instances where you're facing uh, a tough, a tough situation. And it's at times like that, that I, I kind of feel like I've got to be remind, remind myself, you know, it's, it's not aimed, Shapiro. It's not being aimed at you. I, <laughs> I, I've told our teachers so many times at the end of a tough PTA meeting night, if a teacher felt felt that she, you know, she got chewed up um, by a parent, I said, just remember, ninety nine percent of the time, they weren't aiming the venom at you that something's going on. They're dealing with something. Sometimes it's the mere challenge or the hope and aspiration they have for their child whom they love so much that they just aren't able to see the situation clearly. And you, the teacher, ended up being the recipient of the venom. Right. Um, And I I believe that 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 is true. It's not just you know, words of righteousness. Oh, wow. What a beautiful perspective. But it, it it is it is that way. I believe that more times than not, that is really what the situation is like. So I guess for me, I'm thinking that's that's a challenge that's. Uh, capital C at times for me.
1: Definitely can see that as a challenge. And I think you have a good perspective, though, thinking of it almost like a parent that you're, we need to remind ourselves of the love for our, our students. And, and we're doing this to, to help them grow and help them learn. And if we kind of take our ego out of it, right?
0: Right. But I, the way I like to put it is God created a world where we all know if the human gets too close, to the lion's den, where the mother lion feels her cubs are under attack, you got to be prepared to be mauled to death.
1: Definitely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so sometimes that's the perspective, you know, <laughs> that we have to try to uh, remind ourselves: it's not, it's not. Don't take it personally. And then try to reconnect and get back, get yourself, get your student, get the parents. Let's get back on track and continue a dialogue to try to, you know, to help better the situation. For uh, sure, it often it can be done. It can be done.
1: What advice would you give to new educators who are just beginning their journey? Um.
0: Well, well, to the world of Jewish education, I say that. In a certain sense, it's kind of easy. where recognize and remember that we're doing we're doing God's holy work. It's, uh, I apologize for the cliche sound of that, but that at the end of the day, that's what it is, no matter how you twist it. So I think kind of we can remember and and uh, be reminded that whatever and it makes no difference really, what discipline you are teaching. And I even would say that whether you're teaching the Linude Kodesh, the religious studies, or whether you're teaching the general studies, you know, in the core core disciplines of English history, math and science. If you're teaching Jewish children and you're there, you're the adult on the scene imparting education, khinuch, as we If we're talking about it and defined it earlier this evening, if that's what you are engaged in, realize that because that will empower you to appreciate the valuable work that you're doing. And then, yes, practically speaking, be prepared, spend and invest the time to prepare yourself to go in and teach the material. Prepare the lesson, prepare the there, what you are teaching. But in addition, prepare yourself to get to know and understand and appreciate what each and every one of your students is dealing with, obviously to the extent that you can. Um, but because if you can do that, once you get to know that part of your student, you almost become invincible, there will be little that you won't be able to tolerate and absorb because you'll have a fuller appreciation of the challenges of what that student is going through or dealing with, oftentimes on a day-to-day basis. And, and, And that will give you layers of patience of savlanut that you might need at certain times, that will give you layers of creativity, epiphanies of light bulbs going off, where you come up with new ideas, how to present the material so that student as well can understand it. And you'll be able to come up with it because you are determined. You are passionate about reaching your student, especially the student who seems the hardest nut to crack because you appreciate what he or she is dealing with. And you want to be there. I, I would say that and, and there's so much of this now. You know, now, you know, the teacher who says, hey, like, you know, I'm not trained for this. I'm a teacher. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. Oh yes, you are. If you went into the field of of education in 21st century, oh, yes, you are. You are all of them. And sometimes you'll be quasi-mommy and quasi-daddy. So I think that's the message I'm, well, I try to convey.
1: I think that's fantastic advice. And it's true because as educators, we are spending so much time with other people's children and we are teaching them and we're guiding them. And um, so it's true that you mentioned that sometimes we are kind of in that role. Being that we are doing this, how do we help our students to develop a strong Torah foundation?
0: I think encouraging them to be there for each other, to spend time there, you know, out of school time, their extracurricular, quote unquote, non-educational time, if they can spend that in good, healthy, kosher Torah settings with each other, with their teachers, counselors, friends, former, former schoolmates, you know, that student that's one, two or three years ahead of them that they may have rubbed shoulders with that are good role models. I think if they can hang on to that till they get to the next stage of their life, settling down, hopefully, in Yeret HaShem, marriage, creating and building their own home. It's, it's very important, I think, in those post-high school, pre-marriage, that time in between, to be able to kind of hang on to each other and to all the ideals, um, and lessons that they learned and lived in the school building. With, uh, we have so many extracurricular programs and activities here in Baysiako. Trying to this is it, it truly is for so many girls. The school building is their home away from home. They spend so much time. and I'm not even talking about the eight-hour school day. And they want to, and they want to come back and they, because they're going to be with their friends and they're going to work on projects. You know, if uh, if the school is able to create. That environment and those type of programs and encourage the girls uh, and the boys in their respective schools. Then I, I think that's a, a major, major, you know, approach and a way to. To guarantee as much, you know, there's no guarantees for anything, but we're using that term to kind of guarantee the greatest chances of their hanging on to to our tradition, to the Torah values.
1: Definitely. Well, our last question here, what does successful Jewish education look like in the future, do you think?
0: Well, um, I don't know. I I don't like to pretend like I've got any formations of crystal balls here. As if I really know, but um, I guess I would I would hope the aspiration is that uh, despite the fact that we live in the world of technology that we do now and that the written word has kind of faded for so many in the background, it's all about the ring on the phone. It's all about the click on the particular technological gizmo, whatever it might be. And it's all about keeping up with not letting more than five minutes go by where you don't feel you know what's going on everywhere (laughs) in the entire world that you believe you are living in. Despite all that, if somehow we can continue to promote our Torah tradition, the value of limud haTorah of studying Torah, which involves cracking the binding of some books, yes, there's lots of discussion, and yes, there's lots of lots of opportunities for technology to enhance this learning. Absolutely. But at the very same time, I, I, to, to be a traditionalist, get back to the books at some point, put your nose back in, in the written law, the oral law, study it, learn it, connect with it. I think if we can succeed, um, the challenges, and, and the challenge is fierce and mighty, the, uh, the torrential waters of the world around us. Um, Do not make it easy, but I think we need to continue to try to promote that if we're going to hope that Jewish education will continue to to flourish. Our religion is a religion of tradition, so it makes sense that to pass the torch on to the next generation vis-a-vis Jewish education, we, we need to follow tradition. There needs to be the traditional way of it. It can't be displaced by what's in the vogue.
1: Well I definitely agree with that. I definitely agree. Well Rabbi Shapiro, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me tonight and share your wisdom. Um definitely really appreciate it. And I wishing you all the best.
0: Thank you again so much for this opportunity um, and for giving me the time. And I wish you, um, your husband, and all the listeners out there all the best and the greatest hatzlacha, success, in everything that you undertake and you want to have happen. Be well.
1: To support our podcast, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Jewish Education Experience Podcast.